You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. All right, let me just get this out of the way real quick. You'll probably see my hand lifted up and see this. I made the mistake of going over on the first service, and these guys dragged me off the stage. <laughs> they take their time very serious. So I'll be very mindful. No, um... I crashed my motorcycle on the way here, literally right off the freeway right here. Um, I was coming down, and it's the first time I, sh- I come to, to, to this church, the, the building, and uh, I was going, accidentally got on the 210 East, and I wanted to go over to the west, and there was no problem, and the dividers, you know, it's, it's flat, so as I'm going across, there's this big hole, a drain hole that I didn't see, and I took a big hit, but... Um, the most important thing is that my bike is still fine. <laughs> now, praise the Lord. You know, it, it could have been so much worse, and I'm fine. Please don't tell my wife. Don't put anything on Facebook. I'll tell her when, uh, until a couple years from now. Okay. Um, Acapulco, so right away, most people, when they hear Acapulco, they think, oh, poor you, suffering missionary in Acapulco, beautiful city. Um, well, that's really not the case. It's, uh, we, we've been in Mexico for 15 years. We've been in, in Acapulco for the last five years. And the way we ended up there is um, we, we knew from the very beginning when we were in, in, in Baja that the Lord was calling us to go even further south, and we just didn't know where to go. And so we've been praying about it. And then when I was in Ensenada, we had a lot of family members come up and saying, could you please pray for my family in Acapulco? Um, they're just going through a lot of stuff over there. The cartel owns the city. And so uh, it just kept happening. I thought, you know what? Maybe maybe there's a huge need in Acapulco for a church. And so um, we prayed about it, and we did a little scouting trip. And when I went out there with another friend of mine, reality hit, man. This place really is in a bad state. It, it really, like, at leaving service, you can check it for yourself. Look, Google, uh, top most dangerous cities in the world, Acapulco's third or fourth. Um, and we've had that position probably for the last five years. And so when I first got there, um, I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was Acapulco is known for its nightlife. But when I was there, all the businesses would shut, close down early, um, and it was just like this eerie feeling. And there's newsstands all around, and the newspaper, they're very graphic. They don't censor anything. And so you see these bodies hanging from bridges and chopped up in pieces and stuff like that. And sometimes when we read or hear about things in the news, we think, okay, well, that was like a city away from me or somewhere else. I'm reading the news. I'm like, that happened like right here yesterday. It's so like real and in your face. And so I got to my hotel room, I got to my knees, and I said, Lord, I beg of you, don't send me here. I, I, I'm dead serious. I, I was, my friend who was going to come with me um, and, and his family, if the Lord um, had confirmed that, after his second day, he said, I'll tell you right now, I'm not coming here. And I understood. And I felt the same way. And so I got on my knees and I begged the Lord, Lord, please don't send me there. Um, kidnapping is a huge thing. I can say with a straight face, and I know this is going to be hard for now to get a mission team to go out there next time. Um, but the Lord's good. Uh, I can seriously say, unfortunately, 90% of our fellowship have been either kidnapped or had a family, a, do- a father or son kidnapped for ransom. It's such a normal thing over there. And not only that, but people that own their businesses have to pay a cartel fee. So if you have a business, you have to pay a certain percentage to the cartel. And we have people that 
literally pay it. And so anyways, well, the Lord definitely kept stirring my heart. It had to be a God thing. And he, he wouldn't leave me alone with it. And so we ended up in Acapulco and we ended up in a perfect timing because with the insecurity, with the, the chaos that's going on, people have nowhere to turn to. You can't go to the cops. The cops are in the pockets of the cartel. The government doesn't care. The only place is the church. And so it's like a perfect, perfect time because right now we have, we're seeing a lot of people come to the Lord, seeking the Lord. And there's this whole new generation really where they, were, um, they believe in God, but they're, they're just tired of kind of the, the traditional Catholic church where they're not being fed. They want to know more, but they're like, I, I just, I'm not being fed. And so we're having a lot of people come in looking for answers and, and getting saved. And it's just such an awesome thing. So uh, be praying because the Lord is using this to reach Acapulco. And our goal, our plan, Lord willing, is to plant many more churches in the next year so that people can uh, continue to get saved and grow in his, in his grace. And so there we are. And we're going to continue that work as long as the Lord keeps uh, giving us life. And we've been blessed. We've been safe. It's like anywhere else, just so you know, um, you know where to go, where not to go, what time you can be out, what time you can't be out. So using basic wisdom, but we've been, uh, we've been protected by the Lord. And there is a huge need. And also, the, the, just so you know, the cartel, as far as these gruesome murders, it's, it's between them. It's the cartels fighting for, for land. And they're the ones that do these, these, these heinous acts. Um, they don't really care much for, for tourists that are coming down. So that's a good thing, right? <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Let's pray. Lord, first off, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with my Monrovia family. And Lord, again, I confess and I admit and I pray and I beg that you would teach because no one came to listen to a guy. And I definitely don't want to give of my own, <laughs> my own knowledge, Lord. I want to be led by your Holy Spirit, and everyone wants to receive from your Holy Spirit. So open up our minds, open up our hearts, that we wouldn't be here just to gather information. It wouldn't be just another Sunday service, but it would be a divine appointment with you and your word, Lord. And that's why I ask with every fiber in my being that you would manifest yourself through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9 is uh, well known for Saul's conversion. When you think of Acts chapter 9, you think of Saul and his conversion. But there's a character in there that really doesn't get much attention, and that is of Ananias. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Ananias because I think we can learn a lot from him. And the cool thing about Acts, when you read chapter 7, 8, and even 9, you see that there's these people that really don't have these high positions, but they're seriously, literally, they transformed the world. We have Stephen, we have Philip. You know what they were? They were busboys. They weren't in, in a big position. They weren't apostles. They weren't pastors. They were servants. They were the first deacons, which is just a word for servant. And yet, because they were faithful with what the Lord gave them, the Lord used them in a tremendous way. And it's just a reminder that, you know, you don't need to have a microphone to have an impact. You don't need to have your name on a bulletin or on an announcement to make a change. All we need to do is be faithful with what the Lord has given us. And if we're faithful with that, the Lord will transform lives. And so Ananias is one of those guys. And so let's go ahead and start with verse 10, chapter 9. 
Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So here we see this simple man respond right away when the Lord calls him. A huge contrast in comparison to Saul. Now remember, Saul was a, was a master of the law, was zealous for the Lord, had an amazing reputation amongst the Jews. And then let's look at how he encountered the Lord. Let, let's go to verse 4, same chapter, verse 4. Then he fell, talking about Saul, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's strange. After so many years of walking in the law of God, of walking supposedly in the presence of the Lord, that when finally the Lord speaks, he says, who are you? I don't recognize you. So even though he's so religious, he couldn't discern the voice of the Lord. And here we have Ananias, who doesn't have this grand position, who's not an apostle, not not even a deacon, not anything... And right away he says, I know the Lord's voice. Here I am, Lord. And right away we can kind of just criticize, oh man, Saul was just this religious guy and obviously he didn't get it. But you know what, family? It happens in the church even today. I've met people that have served, have been involved for years and say, you know what? I never really had an encounter with the Lord up until just recently. That's a scary thing, man. That's a scary thing when you can be so involved and not yet know your Lord. And so that's what, what, what happened here with Saul is that he couldn't discern his voice. And here's, the, here's the, if you want to know, how can I discern the Lord's voice? When you're in the word of God, you can discern the voice of God. When you're in the word of God, you can discern the voice of God. So it's, it's very vital that we're, we're in, in our scriptures, that we're just grabbing everything we can from the Lord because a lot of us want to have this experience where it's like, Lord, just speak to me. Just If you just say something, then I'll know it's you and, and it'll be con- confirmation when the scripture is the Lord speaking. No, 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 but I, I want to hear him audibly. Well, then just read the Bible out loud. <laughs> and so here, it's a good reminder to not get caught up in the routine of things. And I'll, I'll admit, man, even as a pastor, I can get caught up. And it's kind of like this false sense of security. You know why? Because we can get caught up in works. And we think, well, as long as I'm doing good things, then I'm good with the Lord. And having and, and, and gone weeks or even months doing things and not sat at his feet. It happens. I've been guilty of it. And I just don't want that to happen because, you know what, guys? Man, I know we've heard this for many years, but the time is short, and especially if there's ever time to be ready, if there's ever time to be sensitive to the Word of God, it's for you guys in California. Man, when I read what's going on in California, that blows my mind. We're actually thinking of sending missionaries from Acapulco to over here and <laughs> get things rolling, man. And it's just the reality that, wow, you know what? Things are actually, they're they're coming to reality. Things are happening, and we need to be grounded in the word of God. Because if we're not, man, we're going to be blown to to and fro. So let's go back. Verse 11. 
So the Lord said to Ananias, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So the Lord here is giving Ananias a prophetic word. He's given him a prophetic word because he knows that the task is going to be a difficult one. He has to go present himself to Saul, the persecutor, the man that was in agreement to kill Stephen. That way, when the Bible talks about, when it mentions Saul, it wasn't just that he was like in agreement. It was actually he casted his vote saying, I think this man should be dead. And now the Lord's going to send him to him. So the Lord's preparing him, giving him a prophetic word saying, listen, I'm going to send you to this man. But just so you know, I'm already setting the things in motion. I'm already preparing everything beforehand. And the Lord is gracious that he does that. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias feels the need to educate the Lord on who Saul is. The Lord says, I need you to go to Saul. He says, time out. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't heard, Lord. I mean, if you knew who this man was, you wouldn't be sending me to my death. This guy is the real deal. He, he really wants to kill us. He really wants to, to put us in prison. So his tune has changed a bit. What do you mean it's changed a bit? At first, he was like, Lord, I'm right here. I heard your voice. Cool, man. What are we going to do? I need you to go to Saul. Uh, about that. We have to do something else. But you know, I think this is um, a great image of, if not the most or the majority of the church, including myself. In what sense? In the sense that we all say, Lord, I want to be used. I don't want to be just a guy that shows up or a, a woman that's just sit, sitting during a service and then that's it. I actually do want to take my part. So, Lord, please use me. And the Lord says, awesome, great. There's this ministry in need. Oh, awesome. Let, let me know. Yeah, it's called the children ministry. Yeah, about that, Lord. <laughs> you know these kids spit. They got drool all over. They scream. But, but Lord, please use me. Use me. Okay, well then, you can go down and, and help everyone break down the equipment and set up when, when it's time for service. But don't we have like ushers for that, Lord? I mean, we're just going to be like tripping all over ourselves. There's got to be something. But Lord, please, please use me. Well, there's going to be a mission trip. We're going to be going to Jamaica. That sounds awesome. But it's going to be work and to use my vacation time. My personal vacation, I don't know about that one. To use my personal, my resources to go. But what I'm saying is there's always going to be an excuse. There's always going to be a reason. There's always something that wants to rob us from doing the Lord's will. And, and you know, man, like I said, I'm the same thing. I, I, I fall in the same thing. I say, Lord, please, I, I want to I minister to your people. Use me. And the Lord said, oh, great. Hassan, you know what? There's a guy down at his house who needs ministering. And it's like, ah, I don't want to drive over there. He lives in the bad side of town. And can he just come to church? 
So we're willing to serve as long as it's something that's convenient and something that, that we like. And we can go our whole life, our whole Christian life, having given excuses, justified excuses, where you can justify it completely and never having given ourselves over to serve the Lord in the fellowship. It can happen. There's always a pull. There's, just, there's that struggle. I don't know if I'm the only one, but has this happened to you? You wake up and you say, oh, praise the Lord, right now I'm going to start my devotion. First thing. But first I'm going to make my bed. I can't have a devotion in a messy bed. It's kind of distracting, so I'm going to make my bed. Well, I already did that. I might as well clean my whole bedroom. Before you know it, you wash the dishes, wash the car, built a whole house, still haven't had your devotion. Has it happened? Am I the only one? Yeah, don't leave me hanging, all right, guys? Because I know it happens. It's like there's always something to do. And the devotion is like, seriously, five minutes. In, in five minutes, you can do a devotion, but we'd rather go in the attic and install, uh, um, what, I just lost the word, insulation before our devotion. We, it, it's just so weird how that happens. But hopefully that's an eye-opener to show us, hey, there's a struggle going on. And excuses are going to come by, and there's always, I'm repeating myself, but I just wanted it to sink in. There's always going to be a reason or an excuse why not to do a certain thing. At least Ananias has a legitimate reason. This is a guy that, that wants to take people prisoner. Our excuses compared to his are kind of lame. I have to get up early. I have to stay after service. I have to watch these kids. I say this in all love, all right, guys? I'm putting myself right there because I make excuses. I'm the same. But it is a routine. It, it is a pattern I've seen in the fellowship. We, we need servants that will put these excuses aside and just say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit. Because you know what? What I've found is that we've seen, I've seen personally, the majority of the churches that I've served in most of the work is done by 10% of the congregation. Easy, easy. If that, if that, and, that, and that's, that's if it's going great. And those 10%, it's always the same people. It's always the same ones just doing, and they're wearing a whole bunch of different hats. And then, then sometimes we can see one having, have, having a bad day and be like, oh, man, look at this guy. What a bad attitude. Well, maybe he has a bad attitude. Maybe he has a bad day because he's, he's frustrated. He's working so much. And you got to cut him some slack. And here we are just criticizing. We can point out everything that's wrong with the fellowship. But keep in mind, it's these same guys doing, same guys and girls, ladies that are, that are doing the same work. And you know what? When people, when they don't send reinforcements, it's tiring. We all have full-time jobs. We all have families. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're people. And so the time that we give over to the fellowship, it, it, it pays a toll. But there is a price to pay. But it's definitely worth it. I just don't want us to keep making excuses when the Lord's given us an opportunity to minister. So anyways, here the Lord tells them who he's going to minister to. Ananias gives a reason. But the Lord insists. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, it wasn't like, oh, Ananias, you make a valid point. 
No, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So the Lord here is saying, uh, you're going to do this. And I thank God for that. I thank God that he's insistent. That he continues to seek after us. And the reason why I, I, I believe that he does this is because he knows the blessing after that service. He, he knows what awaits us. He's saying, man, Ananias, I know what you're thinking. I know it doesn't look appealing, but go. Because I know it's going to be a blessing. We have kids? You don't have kids here? Little ones? Remember when uh, you presented new foods to them? They would right away, mm, no, 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 no. They, they, like they're, they're hesitant to certain things, you know. Let's say you're, you wanna, want them to taste a chocolate pudding. You know chocolate pudding is good. And it's like, I know you're going to like this. And they're like, uh-uh. And then they're thinking, why do you want to give me something that was in my diaper an hour ago? Right? They're just like disgusted by it. But you know, you know, if you just taste it, you're going to like it. And so we're insistent. And I believe the Lord does the same thing. He's like, I know the way you look at it. You see this ministry and you think, man, it's going to take my time. It's going to take my energy. But trust me, if you just taste it, if you just try, if you just get in there, you're the one that's going to be blessed. And it's so true. It's so gratifying to serve. We think, and the world's taught us, that the best thing is to be served, is to obtain Man, if you can get that, if you can get people to, to, to give and give you attention and your resources or whatever it is, then that's when you have the good life. That's what the world has taught us. Christ has taught us something different, to be a servant of all. And man, when you do it, you never regret it. I've never seen anyone leaving the mission field or leaving a, a, a ministry thinking, man, why did I do that? They're always just so thankful to have been used. You know, God... God can do our ministries. He could. But he wants us to participate. He wants us to take, be part of the blessing. I'm going to use a lot of examples of, kill, of children because I think it's very fitting for us. For my son, he wants, you know, when, back when I lived here in the States, using the lawnmower, it's a big machine cutting grass, and he's like, oh, Dad, I want to do that. I want to do that. Can I please help you do that? You know, he's five years old. All right, son, get over here. So he grabs the lawnmower. I'm behind him. I'm pushing it. Mom, look what I'm doing. He's not doing squat. He's just holding on. I'm the one pushing it, right? But he's so happy. He's like, oh, my gosh, look what I get to do. And he wants his brothers and everyone else to see. And, and I, be, I believe it's the same thing with the ministry. It's like the Lord says, listen, I, I'm going to do this, but I want you to be a part of it. And when we make excuses, we're losing, we're missing out on these awesome blessings. And so anyways, he insists. And then the other thing he says, he says, I'm going to show him how I'm going to use him, the things he's going to suffer. Look at verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, it isn't that God is vindictive. He isn't saying to Ananias, Ananias, dude, if you just go, I'm going to make this guy suffer so bad. Don't even worry about it, man. He's, he's going to hate it. He's not saying that. that. That's not the Lord we serve. What he is saying to Ananias, he's saying, listen, Saul is now going to know what it is to be persecuted. He's now going to know what it is to be in your shoes. 
Because the reality is, being a Christian isn't easy. It's difficult. Some people try to sell it as sunny days and roses every day, and that's not true. Yeah, we have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is different than happiness. Happiness is temporal, and it comes in and out, and it's not that you're going to be happy every day. But you're going to suffer. And different, everyone, it's, it's different for everybody. But I just want us to know that it, it's a reality. And actually, I think it's even sometimes more challenging for us that know the Lord. I, the reason why I say that, that it's even more, more suffering, is like you think, man, child of God, I'm not going to suffer as much as the world. But here's the thing. You see, back when we were in the world, we'd go with the current. We can manipulate, we can cheat, we can lie, we can do things. Now that we want to follow the Lord... We want to do things right. And now we're going against the grain. So now it's different. Now it's difficult. Now it's like, man, I want to do this right. And here's the challenging part is that when you want to do things honestly, you know, pay your taxes, be honest, be fair. And then you realize, man, I'm doing everything right for the most part. And I barely have enough to pay my rent. And then here's this guy, total heathen. Who, who, who lies and cheats and manipulates and he's prospering and, and things are going good for him. And you think, I don't understand how come I follow the rules and it seems like I get punished and this guy prospers. That could be frustrating. But again, it's because we're not of this world. We're not of this world and, and, and it's challenging. But I need us to understand that serving the Lord does come with that price it's challenging because we don't fit that mold anymore and that's why so many times in the scriptures you see references of us being as soldiers christ talks about it paul talks about it a lot and one of the references let's let's check this out real quick uh second timothy chapter two second timothy chapter two Verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good, what? Again, as a good of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, now, Timothy, everything you're grabbing, it's not just to take in and, 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 and be a dictionary, an encyclopedia of information. You grab this and you show it to faithful men as a good soldier. So we're called to just be that, that open vow for the Lord. But knowing that we're called to be soldiers. Now, there's some things that we can learn about being a soldier. Do we have any veterans or soldiers here in the house today? Praise the Lord. God bless you, brother. God bless you guys. Amen. So they're not going to let me lie when I say this. When you go and you sign on that dotted line that you are now part of the military, you know what you're saying? That I give my will over to the U.S. government. 
You are now government issue. You're government property. Am I saying what is true? Right? You're saying it's not about my will anymore. It's about what my country asks of me. And that's what they tell you. You know what? They say, you're my property now, boy. You know, the drill instructors, you, you, you belong to Uncle Sam. And it's true. You've given your will over. There, 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 there is no independent person now. And so it's the same thing for us as believers. When we give our lives over to the Lord, the same thing happens. We say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. That's why, that's why I'm coming to you. I, I, I can't do this. I give my will over. I want to do yours. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. First Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom we have from God, and you're not your own? Did you hear that? You're not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? Come on, guys, you can do better. Which are? It's his now. And it wasn't something that we signed on paper. It was something that he bought with his blood. So now as a soldier, when we hear that, it's that we've given our will over to him. We're saying, okay, Lord, now I'm called to do what you want. And people fear that. I think one of the things that holds us back to giving ourselves over to the Lord is that we have to let go of certain things. But man, God is so good that he's, he's not a jerk. He's not like, ah, good, now I get to take everything away from you. He still blesses us, man. He really, truly does. And, and you know, even in the small things, you know, I don't want to get off track here, but I, I have to share how faithful the Lord is. Even in the smallest things. I remember when we're, um, actually we're moving out to, to, to be missionaries, and we were just going to, to Baja, um, I wanted a surfboard. I wanted to, uh, to start surfing, uh, just as something to get away with the family, something to do, right? And I pray, even prayed about it. I said, Lord, if, if it's possible, bless me with the surfboard, because I can't put money into that. There's other, other needs, right? And so one day, we, we used to manage apartments. Shortly after that prayer, I don't remember exactly the time, but no more than a couple of weeks. We managed apartments, and there's one that they had to uh, clean out. And we had, everything had to go in the trash. I walk in there, open it up. Literally, underneath the only light that's there, standing, a brand new surfboard. Just to show God isn't like, now I want to take, he's still so good. So even when you give your will over to him, He's a father that still wants to bless his kids. So you don't have to fear that. Because I, th- I, I really truly believe that that's one of the things that people are afraid of. They're hesitant. It's like, oh, then he's going to take it all. You know, maybe something's good that he should take. But then he, he restores. He brings back things, and it's just, it's just awesome. Okay, so anyways, I, I went off track. Now, the other thing we need to know about being a soldier is that when they go and when they sign, they know that they're signing up for something. They're signing up for battle. Not that there is instant battle right there. Like, soon you sign up, okay, now go fight something. Rather, you're doing this knowing that when we call upon you, you have no choice. The number one thing to do is you're going to go into battle. And so I want to remind us today 
that once we've given our lives over to the Lord, we've made a decision to enter a battle. It, there is a spiritual battle. We hear it so much, it almost even sounds like cliche. Like, you know, it's, it's a battle for souls. But I, I, I want you to grasp this, okay? The cartel, they're the ones that do these heinous things, chop people up in pieces and stuff like that, right? And you think, man, can it be any worse than that? Who gives them those thoughts? You know who gives them those thoughts? Satan. And he would do much more. He'd, he would do worse things if possible. They, they're still inventing and looking for ways to torture people. And that person, that's that enemy, is the one that's, that hates your guts. And he wants to destroy you. And there's a saying in Mexico with the cartel. They say, it's not personal, it's only business. Well, with Satan, it's absolutely personal. He, he, he wants you bring, to bring you down in the worst possible way. And, and, and here we are just living life on cruise control. And again, I say this in pure love. Look at, which we know as well in this passage, Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. As soldiers of Christ, we need to understand this, that there is a battle going on, and in a battle, there's casualties. There's people that are broken. There's people that are damaged. And we need to uplift them. We need to not just, up, not just restore those that are battled, but we need reinforcements. It's, it's, again, it's tiring for some of us that are doing the majority of the work, and there's no reinforcements. You've probably seen those movies where the, the, the platoon is pinned down. They're, we need reinforcements. Can't send them. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, why can't they do that? And you're just like, that's so unfair. Sometimes there's servants right now just like, we need reinforcements. We, we need people to come and relieve us. We need people to come and assist. But the call goes out empty. So I want to challenge you. But I also want you to be aware of something. The enemy... When he does, does go against us, it isn't only just like the, he, he wants us to be slaves of drugs and, and, and murder and, and all these vile things. He also has another strategy. strategy. Look at, going back to our text in Acts. Same chapter. Look at verse 23. 9.23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Talking about Saul. The reason why I think this is strange is that Saul was a religious guy for so many years with the highest credentials, super zealous, but it wasn't until he gave his life to the Lord that then he came under attack. In other words, while he was religious, Satan was like, cool, just stay there. If he can get you, if he can just neutralize you, you don't have to be a big, disgusting sinner. Just chill out. You want to be Christian? All right, hey, no problem. 
but don't be talking about it. I mean, that's foolish. You're going to come out sounding like a fanatic. And so if he can just get you to go through the routine, that's where he wants you. That's perfect for him. But once he saw me at a decision, it's like, no, wait a minute. I, I can't have this. And so it's on the both sides. It's not just the sin that wants to save us, but it's also just the religiosity that can take us off the field, that can neutralize us. I'm going to finish with Philippians 121. Philippians 121. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The reason why I want to finish this is because the world has taught us, like I mentioned, that it's about gaining. No, no, no. To live is Christ. Gain, that's, that's, that's going to come later. But it's about obtaining, obtaining now. And, and we, want, we want the tangible. We want what's in front of us. And so, uh, so often we make poor decisions because we want what's in front of us. Again, my children, and I did this test with them. Someone had given us Disneyland tickets. We were, we were in Mexico, in Baja. I said, listen, guys, we can go to Disneyland a week from now. Mickey, the rides, the works, both parks. Or you can have this Snickers bar. Choose, choose, choose. You can have Disneyland in a week, or you can have this Snickers bar. Without skipping a beat, Snickers bar. <laughs> really? Yes. How many of us settle for that Snickers bar? We can be in ministry, we can suffer, we can wait, we can go through it. We say, nah, just give me what you got now. We just want, we, we, we just want to gain now. I want to gain something now. Well, we're, we're pilgrims. This isn't your home. Have you stayed the night at someone's house, a friend or family member? Doesn't it, it feel awkward, the sounds? You can hear the fridge or the clock, the light on the VCR. There's always something. You just don't, you don't feel at home. You can go bed, bath, and beyond, buy the best comforter, buy the, the best pillow, go back to that house, and it's still awkward because it's not your home. And it's the same here in this world. I feel like so many of us are trying to get comfortable. Well, maybe if I have this, maybe I have that, then I'll be comfortable. You're never going to be comfortable. This isn't your home. We're citizens of heaven. So let's stop trying to obtain things so that we can be comfortable here because it's never going to work. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so finally, I just want to encourage you to be a part of this fellowship. Do, do your part and be faithful in it. If, if it means that you have to clean those toilets, that they would be the cleanest toilets in all of Monrovia. You know what I mean? If, 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 if you have to greet those people that come in through that door, that they would feel the most welcomed and loved in that split second. You know, that's a huge ministry. You set the pace on how that person comes. You're a grump or whatever. It's like, okay, I see what kind of church this is. But coming through that door, you already, you already changed our mindset. There is no small ministry. We have to be faithful with the Lord has given us. So keep in mind, we're in a battle, especially here. 
I want to confess something. This, this is when I realized a lot of confession today, man. Don't be publishing this stuff on Facebook, all right? You're going to think, man, who is this guy? Okay. When I realized how bad California was when I experienced something just recently, I went to the DMV, which is the closest you'll get to hell. <laughs> yeah. Three-hour line just to get to the door, not line. In those three hours, you obviously make friends. You're talking to people. And so I'm talking to, to people, and we're talking for quite some time. And then the conversation goes on to where they find out I'm a pastor. And they say, oh, that's a, a couple of them. Can you pray for us? And I'm like, right here? In Acapulco, I have no problem doing that. I'm comfortable with it. But the atmosphere over here, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, people are so just like against, so anti-Christ I even felt uncomfortable. I'm embarrassed to say it, guys. But I was like, can we just like, I didn't say it, but I was like, can we just do this afterwards? <laughs> and, and, but it, it, it clicked. It's like, wow, that, the atmosphere is so bad. And then I think if, if, if that's the way I respond as a pastor who's used to doing this, how's your everyday Christian going to respond? We're, we're, we're probably just, not saying a word because we're afraid of what's going to happen or what someone might say. By the grace of God, I was able to pray, just so you know. By his grace. But it was an eye-opener for me. And so family, be prepared. Be on your knees. Seek the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness and the reminder that you've called us to serve you. You've already paid the price. These lives belong to you. Help us to give our will over to you, Father God. Help us to be a part of this fellowship. Forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our selfishness. Help us to have that mindset of a pilgrim. Help us to manifest the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to be bold. So I give you this fellowship, my Lord, that you would use this church to glorify your name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, family. I love you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.